0: Hello and welcome to Ecology and Me, a citizen scientist podcast for curious humans. I'm Kate Douglas, Curious Human, and today we're talking about weeds. When I studied herbalism, we learned about the incredibly powerful medicine of plants like nettles and plantain and dandelion, plants that I knew as weeds. And I remember being in disbelief. You mean, these plants that I saw all over city blocks, these plants that were constantly being pulled out of front lawns over and over again, they actually had incredible medicinal properties? Why on earth are we rejecting these incredible neighbors of ours instead of celebrating them? And it got me thinking, what is a weed anyway? Is it a scientific term? Is there something all weeds have in common? I sat down with interdisciplinary artist Jill Sigmund to get some answers. Jill has been working with weeds since she decided to speak to plants one day.
1: My father was very ill and he was in the hospital and I was in another country. And I decided that I was going to speak to this plant and ask it for some assistance. And to my great surprise, the plant answered me and it asked me some questions. And it also said to me, it said, you don't know us. You don't know us. You don't know anything about us. Why don't you get to know us a little? So it it did kind of agree to help me in the end, but it also made that contingent on me getting to know them. And I decided that I needed to take that seriously. So I've been doing that ever since. So Jill, what makes a weed a weed? So weed is just a cultural category. It's not a biological category. There's nothing about a particular plant's genetic makeup or its scientific identity that makes it a weed. A weed is a weed if it's a plant that grows where people don't want it. Weeds are plants out of place. They're plants that grow uninvited or unbidden and are sort of pushing against humans' will to control. The plant world and to control, you know, what grows around them and to protect things that they consider their property. You know, in fact, it's interesting because we can see that really clearly, we see that relativism in the fact that some plants are considered weeds in some contexts and then are totally not weeds in other contexts, the very same plant. For example, like a very common plant that most people will know is the dandelion. Dandelions grow wild in many places and people love to hate them and they spend lots of time and energy trying to get them out of their gardens or to purge their great American lawns of the dandelion. For more
0: on the American obsession with lawns, see our earlier episode, which appropriately asks the question, why do we have grass lawns with Jessa Finch?
1: And on the other hand, dandelions are grown in certain places as an agricultural crop and exported as as a food, a place where they're grown And quite popular is like in Italy where they're just grown as another vegetable and they're exported to the US and people buy them in the health food store for a lot of money. (laughs) And it's the same plant. Across the board, weeds tend to be very resilient, which
0: might be incredible to somebody growing dandelion as a crop, but not so
1: incredible to somebody who wants a dandelion-free lawn. Many different plants that we call weeds, many plants that, you know, are particularly resilient have different interesting properties that are suited to different kinds of geological environments. Some plants grow in a way that makes it possible for them to live on cliffs or to make to live in very dry areas. And then they end up in the city and they do really well on cement, for example, right? They have different adaptive properties that allow them to survive in a place where they might have to grow through the cement and you know, way, way, way down for the roots to get some water. Other plants have have other features, like they might have particularly large leaves or ample pores so that they can take in more water from the air if they can't get it from the ground. Did
0: you know that the United States established a federal program to control the spread of quote-unquote noxious weeds? It was called the Federal Noxious Weed Act of 1974, and it gave the Secretary of Agriculture authority to declare plants noxious weeds and limit the interstate spread of such plants without a permit. I'm guessing the plants didn't know anything about how to get a permit, so that seems a little bit unfair. This list of noxious weeds includes plants like wild raspberry and wild blackberry and a plant called giant sensitive plant. Yes, that actually is the common name. Come on, how
1: could something called giant sensitive plant be noxious? That, you know, a lot of people like to conflate weeds with non-native plants, which is really interesting in terms of like a lot of thinking that sort of parallels like the way people think about weeds often parallels the ways they think about people who have immigrated to this country. We actually have a lot of plants that grow in this country that have been here for centuries that you know are also identified as weeds. Like, for example, pokeweed is is a great instance of that. It's a very large, Gangly plant that likes to grow and take up lots of space and take over. It grows very assertively. The berries are toxic because the seeds in them are toxic, at least toxic to humans. And while we can't eat the berries, they're an amazing dye, right? They're they're a great pigment, so we can use them to dye things. But we can also make ink out of them. There's a sort of lore that that pokeweed ink was what was used to sign the Declaration of Independence. The idea of the Declaration of Independence, or at least the concept of it, maybe not its whole implementation, but the concept of it and the concept of independence fits really well with the way pokeweed grows, which is very much keeping its own counsel. Now I recently read something that debunks this theory. So probably pokeweed was not used in that way, and it was probably iron gall ink instead, which is made out of the galls on oak oak tree leaves.
0: Let's take a little detour into iron gall ink because why not? Iron gall ink is made from oak gall, which are these growths found on some kinds of oak trees. How do these growths get there, you might ask? Gall wasps lay eggs in developing leaf buds on oak trees. Their larvae then secrete all these chemicals and then eat everything they've secreted on, and this turns the oak leaf bud into a gall. Which protects the developing larvae until they undergo metamorphosis. So basically, we have the Declaration of Independence thanks
1: to wasps. There are so many plants that we now take for granted in North America that came from Africa via the Caribbean. The Atlantic trade brought many, many different plants to this country. Seeds actually travel in people's hair. They travel in jewelry. I believe licorice came that way. Actually, there are seeds in food that's brought on boats. There are seeds in things like hay and straw that are used for bedding. So there are many ways that seeds can make their way and many ways that seeds came through the Atlantic trade. So one really great example of that is the plant amaranth. grows a lot in New York City, and we often see green versions and red versions of amaranth growing wild. But amaranth is something that came from Africa, came via the Caribbean, And it's the main ingredient in the food that gets called callaloo that people still eat a lot. They eat it in Africa, they eat it in the Caribbean, and many people eat it in the South as well. Apparently, a new strain of
0: amaranth has appeared that is herbicide resistant, causing a bit of a headache for farmers who are not trying to grow amaranth. Amaranth is cited as one of the top three most troublesome weeds in the Southeast United States. I think I would read more gossip magazines if they put out lists like that. Side note... One of Amaranth's common names is Love Lies Bleeding, which is quite decadent, if I do say so myself.
1: And it's really, you know, a testament to how the Atlantic trade created certain food ways. And those food ways are really related to these plants that have been kind of demoted to the, the category or the status of weeds in a lot of current American society. And I think that that, you know, is not a coincidence, right? Like how does what we distance ourselves from what we want to call weed relate to the histories and the facts and the realities that we want to distance ourselves from as well. And um, while foraging and different kinds of medicinal practices and self-care with, with wild plants might, you know, be kind of new for some folks and it might be kind of trendy in some, in some locations we want to really acknowledge that it's not new and that there have been many people, particularly female healers and particularly Indigenous people who have been keeping this knowledge and sometimes at great cost and with great difficulty. And I think something that, you know, that leads to really um, wanting to think about and, and lift up is the issue of Indigenous sovereignty, land sovereignty. And that's something that I think we all want to be looking at and thinking about and supporting right now.
0: And right now is a good time for us to be rethinking our relationship to plants that we call weeds.
1: So they're all different, you know, issues that we're facing now as a society, given the climate crisis, that plants are actually working to help ameliorate in some way. They are really helpful in terms of providing things like erosion control and keeping our cities cooler and helping to mitigate flooding. Many of them also have properties that allow them to remediate soil. So soil that we've made toxic in various ways can be addressed by growing these plants in that soil, and they can take heavy metals out of the soil and other, other chemicals out of the soil. They're creatures that you know sort of live in tandem with us in ways that are really helpful and really very forgiving to all of our human <laughs> transgressions. So, quick recap.
0: The term weed is a cultural category, not a biological one. And this category is entangled with all kinds of historical knowledge and events that have been repressed, dismissed, and subjugated. And now is a good time to show some respect to these incredible plants that we call weeds. They have a lot to teach us about resilience, adaptation, and so much more. Thanks for listening in. If you want to support the podcast, visit my Patreon where you could submit questions for future episodes. Please send me your burning curiosities and we can learn the answer together. That's at patreon.com slash ecologyandme. I'm Kate Douglas. Stay curious out there. This episode was recorded, mixed, and produced by me. Theme song is by the amazing Matthew Dean Marsh. Follow us on social at ecologyandme.